You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid he copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. also want to shout out the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson doing an awesome job over there covering things from the national angle. You can find it wherever you find your favorite shows, also part of the Locked On podcast network and today we're talking centers we are going to spend a lot of time talking about garrett bradbury uh it's kind of a companion thing to an article that i wrote that is also coming out today on wednesday you can find that on uh, zonecoverage.com and i just i want to have a like a broad conversation about garrett bradbury and how good he is and kind of what expectations are and all that stuff and really i think the question is garrett bradbury good is a little more divisive than you may think, and I think a little harder to figure out than you may think. So we'll go through all of that. I'm pretty high on Garrett Bradbury, and I want to show my work and kind of lay out my case uh, because I know a lot of people vehemently disagree with that. But it's not the only center we're talking about today. It's also uh, story time for Cole Cabral, who is the uh, waiver pickup the Vikings made in like May. So we'll do his story time Uh, later on in the show. But first, let's talk about Garrett Bradbury. And Garrett Bradbury exists in a very weird space where he is kind of somebody that the stats and analytics and the PFFs and the kind of measurable production of the world just hates Garrett Bradbury and thinks, I mean, PFF wrote an article that said he was the worst draft bust of the last decade, like a worst uh, a worse decision than Laquan Treadwell, just like absolutely vehemently hates him. And if you look at Like O-line people like Brandon Thorne or Brian Baldinger, Uh, you know, if you talk to people within the Vikings, people who kind of get their takes a little bit more from the, you know, the old fashioned way by watching it, they love Garrett Bradbury. So what gives? And I think the uh, the take on Garrett Bradbury, what Garrett Bradbury is as a package, is told pretty well by that dynamic. Garrett Bradbury has put up pretty poor production numbers, really, no matter how you measure it, no matter who's doing the pressure charting or anything like that. He gets beat more often than you want. He gets beat like at a bottom five rate in the league as a center. That's pretty bad. Uh, but the things that he does do are really spectacular and it's stuff that nobody charts, except maybe NFL teams. I bet NFL teams chart this stuff often, but nobody, you know, Sports Info Solutions and PFF aren't charting how often you reach block and, and, you know, against which alignments and how many gaps you cross on average. Nobody's charting that kind of stuff. That's not exactly what the typical, like, EPA-driven analytics models uh, are looking for. And, you know, that's neither here nor there on any of those methodologies. Different things measure different stuff. And if we look at all of it, we can get a holistic picture, right? But I think the most important thing to understand, there's two important things, I guess, with Garrett Bradbury, a positive thing and a negative thing. And we'll talk about both in depth. The positive thing is his reach blocks. They're unbelievable. They're not just he's like a good reacher. It's not he plays like a starting quality lineman. They're eye-popping off the charts, break the game good. And I'll explain that more in a bit. But there's also that his pass sets are 
suspect that he gets walked back in the quarterback into the quarterback pretty often, more often than we'd like. Um, and there are some other problems with that that we'll get into as well. And I want to start with those because I think that's the headline that most people think of when they think of Garrett Bradbury is they think of like Jeffrey Simmons walking him back into Cousins. Uh, there's another one against Carolina that was pretty gnarly, a couple against the Bears that were pretty gnarly. He got walked back into the quarterback too often, and that is something that needs to change. And so in an effort to understand why that is happening, because it's not I don't think a strength issue with Bradbury. He's a very powerful lineman. He had great jumps in the combine. And I think when he shows power, when he has a chance to, you know, use his uh, lower body power, like in the run game, he blows guys off the ball. He is a powerful lineman, but he gets blown back in the pass all the time, which means that there's a technique issue. And that technique issue kind of goes all the way back to his rookie year. So in his rookie year, you remember how his rookie year, like he started out super abysmal and he got that infamous 0.0 PFF grade and stuff in his first, uh, uh, two games, I think. And part of that was getting beat by uh, like a head fake by a defensive lineman or, or little alignment changes, things that you typically do to attack a rookie starting in their first couple of games. And he was super susceptible to it. And part of that was that his pass set wasn't wide enough. His feet weren't setting wide enough. And so that meant that if somebody got outside of his frame, he didn't have a very good base to respond to that. He would have to cross his feet up to move his shoulders, move his frame. And by that point, you know, his leverage is completely gone or the guy would just get around you before he was able to do that. If you, you know, your feet are narrow and standing together, you don't exactly take up a lot of horizontal space. So he had to widen out his sets and boy, howdy, he has widened out his sets. His sets look hilarious now. If you just like pull Pull up any pass set from Garrett Bradbury. It looks like he's getting his feet as wide as he can physically possibly get them. They're like twice shoulder length apart. And that gives you a lot of horizontal space. You can lift your weight from one foot to the other and get your frame kind of wherever it needs to go. And it makes them pretty good mirroring against, uh, you know, more agile concepts or people who are just kind of trying to at attack one shoulder or the other. He can deny that and win a lot of reps that way. And so his pass protection has improved in that sense from the abysmal, disastrous rookie year. But the problem is that's not great. That's not a great base at accepting power. So that is kind of unfortunate because that's not something that changes. Um, you know, if he narrows his base again, he might lose that ability to kind of mirror the way that he has. So we might just have to have these wide sets and he has to figure out a way to work around them. And a lot of times that means you're going to lose the initial engagement. When a defensive lineman comes and gets you in the shoulder pads, you're going to seed some ground. A lot of online coaches are okay with that as long as you anchor. And Bradbury needs to get better at anchoring. And, and part of anchoring is you have to keep your feet kind of moving all the time. If you stop your feet and your shoulders get back up over your feet and you're standing in a straight up and down position instead of with your feet behind you kind of digging into the ground, you know, being that that support pillar that you like push up against, then that's when you get walked back, right? Then you've got absolutely no control over where you're going and you've completely lost the rep and it's going to look pretty ugly. You're going to end up on the ground more often than not. And that happens to Bradbury too often. Now, there are examples on his tape of him keeping those feet moving and finding a way to anchor, but he needs to learn to get his feet way further back. And he should look at what Brian O'Neill does because Brian O'Neill has a similar problem where he's not the most powerful lineman. Um, I mean, he's less powerful than like, uh, Garrett Bradbury is. 
and he often would lose the initial engagement and would have to anchor. He got really good at swinging his leg back behind him and kind of, yeah, you seeded a bunch of ground, but it didn't matter because you anchored before the quarterback was affected. It's an ugly win, doesn't look great on tape, and you know the player tracking algorithms might ding you for getting too close to the quarterback, but ultimately you sealed the guy off and he didn't have an effect on the play, so your online coach is going to be okay with it. The problem is that's really hard to do from that wide base. So that's really difficult. But the thing about this pass protection, it's 29 pressures in 2020. That was uh, fourth worst. And the seventh best, which is like the top quartile. So, you know, talk good centers. The seventh best was gave up 12 pressures. So that's an overall 17 pressures. That's one a game. So the actual meat on the bone here is like fairly minimal. I mean, look, one a game ain't nothing. That is a, a, a play every single game that you can get back by fixing this. So it's definitely worth fixing. But by, you know, getting rid of him and replacing him and the costs that that would incur, the cost of acquiring whoever that player is, the cost of, uh, you know, training that player, the cost of developing that player is probably not worth like 10 pressures on the course over the course of a whole season especially when you consider what you lose in the run game, which is what I'm going to talk about next. And that's why I really like Garrett Bradbury, because as ugly as his pass protection issues are, by nature of being a center, they just don't come up that often. Guys just don't, defense just don't attack centers the way they attack tackles and the way that they attack guards. They're just not set up to do it. And you get a lot of double teams as a center and you're often, you know, uh, kind of left uncovered as a center in pass protection. Pass protection for centers just isn't that big of a deal. It's not nothing. Everything matters some, but it's just, just not a huge deal. It's like more annoying than it is impactful, I guess, which makes it hard to like divorce it from, from your brain. But I, I guess I'm much more interested in the thing he does six times a game than the thing he does one time a game. Switching gears, the Clippers are down two to nothing for the third time in this NBA playoffs. If you think they can make a comeback and you want to lay a wager on it, head on over to betonline.ag. It is your one-stop shop for all things Grambling, NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL futures, like the first coach fired or who's going to make the playoffs, who's going to win each division, over under win totals, all that stuff. You can find it at betonline.ag. Don't have an account? No worries. It's free to set one up. And when you actually make your first deposit for money to gramble with, enter promo code locked on, you get a little free plate money as well. A 50% match. That means if you put in, say, 500 bucks for your first deposit, you'd actually have 750 to gramble with. If you enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Moving on with Garrett Bradbury and um, the the reach blocking thing. So I think it was Daniel Jeremiah when he came out in the draft called him the Grim Reacher. And that name, I think, is kind of stuck because he reach blocks like a god. Like it is very difficult to overstate how cool it is. And it's super easy to underestimate because it doesn't look that cool. It's not a particularly explosive thing. It often happens on mundane run plays where your eyes are distracted by something cool that Dalvin Cook is doing or, you know, it only went for five yards, but it was five yards on second and six and that set up a great third down, you know, play call situation. So it's like for as impressive and, and physically difficult as reach blocking is, it's so easy to miss. So if you don't know what reach blocking is, it is a staple of zone blocking, and that means it's a staple of the Minnesota Vikings, it's a staple of the 49ers, the Rams, and the like eight other teams that are running wide zones. It's all over the NFL. 
And what it means is instead of blocking the guy in front of you, you block the guy a gap down from you. The problem with that is you got to get over to that guy. And a lot of times you have to get across that guy's face and then seal him around from the other side. The advantage of that is that it gives you um, a, a numbers advantage. The disadvantage is that it's hard as hell to do. And it takes a ton of agility. And it's why all these zone running teams want alignment with really good three cone scores. But and this is like a very visual point. So bear with me on this audio medium. If you imagine a run setup where, say, you know, you've got the center Bradbury and then the tackle and guard on the play side and say they have three defensive linemen on that side and you don't have any extra blockers, you can kind of get a blocker back or get a gap back, as some coaches put it. Basically, a defense will line up thinking, OK, we have the advantage on this side of the field. Look, we have a numbers advantage because often the center doesn't count in those uh, calculations. But if the center can get involved because he's so athletic, then he can count and you can get a uh, better blocking math. It just gives you a numbers advantage. It's all counting off, you know, one, two, three versus one, two, three, four. The four guys have the advantage. And that's the that's that's why reach blocking can be so special. That's what the, the magic of it is. And the thing is to combat this like def- defensive coaches know that they're that reach blocks are a thing. And so to combat this, you put the defensive tackle further away from the center, make that reach block harder. And Garrett Bradbury is very, very rare in that that doesn't really work against him. He reach blocks three techniques all the way out between the tackle and the guard. He's like two guys over from him and he can still get across that guy's face because he's so explosive. That, when you see tape guys and O-line coaches and O-line guru types just gushing about seemingly routine run plays that Garrett Bradbury made a good block on, it's not that they don't care about pass protection or they're misallocating their priorities or whatever. It's that he's doing something really, really rare and special. And I don't want to give that up for the sake of like 10 pressures. So all of this is to say from a more like macro perspective, I don't think I need Garrett Bradbury to improve. I want him to improve. There's definitely areas for him to improve in pass protection. And I think he should have to improve in pass protection eventually. But if he plays exactly the same way he played in 2020, if he just gives us that for the rest of his career... I'm like happy with that because that reach block thing can really, really warp stuff. The other nice thing about having a reach blocking center that's like so good at it is that now nobody else needs to take a weird angle. You can basically put all the weird angle burden on him and he'll do it. He'll be able to execute and pay it off for you and everybody else can have straightforward blocks. So when you've got say rookies starting on the offensive line, you can give them the easier blocks and give the hard one to Garrett Bradbury because you know he can handle it. Now, reach blocking isn't the only thing he does well in the run game. He does pretty much everything well in the run game. He pushes guys, he gets to the second level well, he's amazing on screens. All that stuff is very good too, but the reach blocking is just otherworldly and it really stands out to me and it's why I wanted to spend a little more airtime on it. But he's a really unbelievably good run blocker He's not a great pass blocker, but there's not a lot of differentiation on centers on the whole, really. So I struggle to let that define Garrett Bradbury, even though it's the thing that's the easiest to remember because it's the one the broadcast replay will always cut to. They're not always going to cut to a really cool reach block on Sunday night football. But I don't know. Maybe they should. we got a good story about a SoCal offensive lineman coming up. But first, let's talk a little bit about your car. Do you have everything you need in your car to be safe in an emergency situation? We're talking flashlights. We're talking maybe an ice scraper if you live in the Great White North. 
jumper cables, you know, rudimentary repair, a tire change kit, all that stuff. If you don't have that stuff, you definitely don't want to be caught out without it. Head on over to rockauto.com. You could go to a brick and mortar auto shop, but they're going to upsell you because you're a retail customer and they're not looking out for you like rockauto.com does. Rockauto is just an aggregator of, of links where you can get parts. They're not selling you cheaper versions of parts. They're just cutting out the middleman so they can shave stuff off the price. They're a family company. They've been doing this for like 15 years and they know what they're doing. So enter your make your year and your model. You can get any kind of car part you can get basic supplies like jumper cables you can get gaskets and all sorts of things if you just enter your make your year and your model they will sort through their entire expansive catalog of car parts to make sure you're getting something compatible with your car and hook you up so if you go to rockauto.com you buy anything at checkout there will be a how you heard about us section make sure you let them know that locked on sent you because if you don't I will have to choose between custody of my kids or custody of the bunnies, and I don't want to have to abandon my kids like that. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Let's also talk about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. It is Built Bar. If you want to indulge in a variety of lovely flavors like chocolate, raspberry, chocolate, peanut butter, brownie, mint brownie, nine delicious flavors in total, plus a whole bajillion specialty flavors. So go check the website every once in a while. They might have something special running that catches your eye. That website is Built Bar. Com. You can enter promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, you get 15% off of your next order for these delicious, low-calorie, low-carb, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber protein bars. They're covered in 100% chocolate, they are delicious, and they're 15% off. If you enter promo code LOCKED15, all one word, at BuiltBar.com. Cole Cabral Center for the Vikings here in 2021. Grew up in Rancho Cucamonga. Grew up a huge USC Trojans fan, rooting for UFC. Rancho Cucamonga, California, is right outside LA, so grew up a big, big SC fan. Uh, and in high school, he played mostly center, and he flirted a little bit with defense, but he liked offensive line better. And sometimes he would be on the sidelines when he wasn't in on defense in high school, and he'd get really frustrated with his high school team would let guys like kind of run down their throat a lot. And he would just kind of feel the futility uh, when you're just getting run on and you just kind of feel that like demoralization. And he realized, I love inflicting that on other teams. And that's really when he kind of that's that's really what makes him fall in love with the game of football, that ability to just kind of line up across from a guy, look at that guy and say, you know exactly what we're going to do. And there's nothing you can do about it. And just having that power over your opponent is kind of the the draw of football for him. He relishes it. So it wasn't really about this like chase for the NFL like it is for some other prospects that like, you know, always have, you know, well, I'll go to this college because it's you know better chance to get to the NFL. He just wanted to play. So when he was, he was a three-star recruit, he was like number two center in the country. So he was a highly recruited guy. He got like eight scholarship uh, offers. And one of them was actually USC, his you know, childhood team. Let's go. Uh, I think Fresno State, ASU, Arizona, a bunch of them. But there were two problems with USC that were kind of getting in the way of this match made in heaven. For one, USC had an entrenched center. His name was Nico Fala, and he was not going to get beat. He was his senior year there at USC. He wasn't going to give up the job to a true freshman. Um, and he ended up having like a three-year career in the NFL, kind of bouncing around practice squads, didn't really make it undrafted guy. But still, NFL caliber player there at USC, you're not going to come in as a true freshman and beat that out. And two, 
he didn't want to necessarily be that close to home. He wanted to be on his own a little bit. You know, he doesn't want to. He, I think he said, he's like, I don't want to, you know, say, hey, mom, what's for dinner tonight? I want to be able to, you know, come visit all the time. I don't want to go too far. But he wants to kind of, you know, spread his wings, be on his own. And so instead of USC, he actually chooses ASU, where he has a chance to play right away. They have uh, entrenched seniors all over their line, but he thought he liked his chances to kind of get in there a little bit. So his first year, he does actually get in in spot duty because his coaches realize, oh, he's good. He's we got an NFL player on our hands. So they get him in and they get him in in you know, six OL formations. He fills in for injury here and there. He fills in and, you know, field goal units and stuff. He gets in and he plays football. And that's what he really wanted. He just didn't want to have to redshirt a year, take a year off like he probably would have had to at USC. So. ASU works them where they can in their first in in his first year, and about halfway through that, just even in the spot duty, he starts talking to the coaches. The coaches say, "Hey, you're like good. Like we're getting you in, not to appease you here, but because we need to find a way to get you on the field. You just have to. You should maybe think about pursuing an NFL career." And he said, and he hadn't thought about the NFL before this. And so that starts to inform some of the other decisions. But the first kind of next big change in his career isn't really up to him. So after that freshman year, uh, the left tackle was a redshirt senior that year, and he graduates. So now there's a hole at left tackle, and they want to move him over into that. So uh, Cabral kind of spends time in that spring prepping to take over, learning the kind of outside position and stuff, and and getting ready to be the, the starting left tackle for the ASU Sun Devils in his sophomore year. So he's kind of the new kid on the block in this offensive line, but left guard Sam Jones and Quinn Bailey, also an offensive lineman, a couple of older kids, uh, help him out and really kind of take him along and be the leader for him. Um, but not far into that season, the center goes down, AJ McCollum. So never mind on all that. But also the coaching staff that was so high on him that had to get him in. Uh, the offensive coordinator takes a job at Louisiana, ASU goes over a whole bunch of turnover, and before he knows it, he's one of the more tenured Sun Devils. So after his 2018 season, he kind of has a choice to make. He can either go back for 2019, which would be his senior year, or he can declare for the NFL draft a year early. And he gets appraised at the fifth round. So that's a a process that all these college kids go through where basically a, a panel comes and says, well, we think if you declared, you go around here to give them a sense of if they should go back for another year or not. And for Cabral, he thinks that's not good enough. I can go back for another year. I can be an experienced senior. I can put out good tape. And for him, it's not about a certainty of the NFL. And and the NFL, like the dream of being an NFL player, isn't necessarily what it's about. It's more about, you know, he wants to play. So he's not going to give up that last year of playing football for an outside chance at making the team. He's going to play it out. And so that's what he does. He goes back for 2019 And he has, for all intents and purposes, a pretty good year, but he's surrounded by a bunch of young guys. eh? All of the old guys that took him along or graduated or gone or drafted or whatever. So he's the old guy. He's the senior. He's the guy leading people along into kind of taking on that leadership role, which he, you know, steps up to. But it doesn't do great for his ability to get noticed. He's surrounded by a bunch of young guys. The ASU offensive line does not have a great reputation. And even though he's the one bright spot on it, it makes it kind of hard to stand out. But his NFL playing career is over. He's out of eligibility, so he declares for the draft for 2020. So he knows that he's going to be a day three pick, if anything, and he thinks he's got a good chance to get drafted. So it's 9 a.m. on Saturday, day three of the 2020 draft. This is the Zoom draft. So it's all COVID stuff. His family is around, you know, as, as best as they can be. Um, and he is, like, deeply stressed. 
And even like old coaches and friends and stuff are ribbing him like, oh, I'm going to give you a call at like 1030 on Saturday. You know, I'm going to freak you out, make you think an NFL team is calling. And his agent actually does call him a bunch every time his phone rings. And he's like super disappointed that it's just his agent updating him on various conversations. One of those conversations is with his hometown L.A. Rams who are interested in him. And he thinks maybe they're going to take him in, in, in late day three. But 255 picks come and go and he doesn't get drafted. The senior year wasn't the best idea to up his draft stock. He only gave up the one sack, but maybe he could have done more at the combine. He kind of relied on the athletic testing at his pro day. He didn't actually do a lot of tests at the combine, and he knows he was a good. He knew he was a good athlete. He was a high recruit and stuff. But he decided that the pro day would be a better forum to do that. And the pro day got canceled because of coronavirus. And then the Rams call and they say, "Hey, we didn't draft you, but we want to bring you in." try to make the team so hometown rams and it's kind of funny you know the guy that decided and agonized over the decision to not play for his hometown trojans ends up getting invited to training camp for the hometown rams but alas no preseason not much of a shot and he doesn't make the squad without that proving ground though he still does get at least enough of a chance to make it onto the texans practice squad and he gets a futures deal after the 2020 season and then randomly gets released in may because you know what houston's going through it right now new gm nick casario over there bringing in you know a different slate of guys so cabral gets waived again in may but again he gets picked up right away this time he's a waiver claim for the minnesota vikings and he gets another chance to make a team and he can actually get into a preseason game and start playing football again being on the practice squad is great but Cole Cabral wants to play and that is I think the biggest uh, advantage that he has is that he doesn't want to reach a goal it's not about personal accolades or you know making this goal making that goal personally it's just about getting on the field lining up against another guy and kicking his ass and as an offensive lineman that's exactly the mentality you need before I go, just want to shout out the Locked On Today podcast, under 20 minutes every single weekday. Peter Bukowski will take you through all of the news and notes going on around the wide world of sports, NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, all that stuff. So make sure you go check that out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.